Are you a busy Ruby developer who wants to take their freelance business to the next level? Interested in working smarter, not harder? Then check out the upcoming book, Next Level Freelancing, Developer Edition. Practical steps to work less, travel more, and make more money. It includes interviews and case studies with successful freelancers who have made a killing by expanding their consultancy, developed passive income through informational products, built successful SaaS products, and become rockstar consultants making a minimum of $200 an hour. There are all kinds of practical steps on getting started, and if you sign up now, you'll get 50% off when it's released. You can find it at nextlevelfreelancing.com. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 41 of the Ruby Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Eric Davis. Hello. And I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. This week, we're going to be talking about hiring other people. I, I don't think we're getting into subcontracting. We've talked about that before, but, uh, you know, maybe some of the other folks that we need in order to get stuff done. So I, I think we're talking about designers, virtual assistants, bookkeepers, that kind of thing. Yeah, kind of like a general support people, like not actually the core competency of your business, like, you know, writing code, but stuff that's going to help you do your do your business and do what your services better. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So is there one particular aspect of this you want to kick off with, Eric? Well, I've I've hired virtual assistants and lawyers and accountants. So that's kind of where I have experience of. I've talked to people and have have heard other people who've hired designers and work with designers who were hired by my clients. So I can speak to that a little bit, but I don't have any like, you know, firsthand knowledge of that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I've hired VAs, I've hired bookkeepers, um, I've hired, um, I've paid designers to do work. You know, I, I have an attorney that I go to for my attorney stuff. In fact, I probably have to bring him on the show for a couple of uh, times so we can talk about some of the legal stuff we we need to go over um and uh yeah i mean i've hired subcontractors um i have an accountant so i don't know we we can definitely uh dig into some of that so do you want to just kind of start with i don't know designers <laughs> sure and actually thinking about it i actually hired a designer i guess twice maybe for my own stuff like basically when i got started i had them come up with like an HTML skin for my site. Um, and I've since used that across, you know, multiple versions of my site and multiple uh, sites that are kind of similar. So I guess I have hired a designer too. And in that case, it just basically came down to, I can do a design, I can, you know, do some good CSS, but coming up with something from scratch, uh, I'm not that good with it. I'm so slow at it that it's easier for me to have someone else who's an expert create it for me hand it off to me and then I'll do like minor tweaks or whatever. And you know, any integration I need, like if it's into a rails app or something. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of the same way. I mean, um, for my way back when I, I had a friend of mine who was a designer and I had him do a design for one of my blogs. Um, that design's not up anymore. It was not, it was okay, but I didn't totally love it. So, um, I just kind of went with a WordPress theme on that site. And in any case, um, you know, I, I didn't pay him a whole lot and it was kind of nice because he did me a favor and just put it together. For devchat.tv, I actually paid a design firm a fair bit of money to put a design together and I thought it looked pretty darn good. You can go look at it now. The site's up. It's broken, but it's up. Um, and so you can kind of see the design there and, uh, you know, there's a bunch of artwork and stuff that 
that I, I never could have done on my own. Typically for other websites, you know, I, t- I tend to do just something simple with Twitter bootstrap or something, but um, I wanted that, that website to be representative of something a little bit more. As far as the rest of the designers I've dealt with, they've all been um, people that were hired by the client. And so I just get a bundle of HTML and CSS or something from them. And then, yeah, I just slap it on top of Rails and off we go. So beyond that, I've, you know, I've, I've had one client that kind of did some mock-ups in some Microsoft program. And then I made it look as close to that as I could without making it look as crappy as it did in that mock-up. So how do you select your designer? How did you find your designer, Eric? Well, let's see. The designer I used... I've worked with her on, well, not necessarily a client project, but it was kind of like a, you can call it like a mini startup, like a bunch of people, we're all freelancers, got together, tried to build something. It ended up failing, but it wasn't like, you know, our primary focus. Uh, She helped out with the design on that. And so I got to know her from there. And basically when I needed a design for my site, instead of shopping around or whatever, I just went to her and said, hey, could you do this for me? And how much would it cost? And so it was basically, you know, I... I knew someone who knew someone who knew her and that's how the introduction was made and then working together. And I think that's like the best thing you can do because you basically get to see the, see their work, be able to work with them and then you can decide like, yeah, I want to I wanna actually buy something from them. But that's kind of hard to do unless you're actually working with a lot of designers. Yeah, um, the, my situation was a little bit different. I actually went to the users group and I said, hey, does anyone know a good designer that I can ha- have uh, built this design for my site? And it worked out pretty well that uh, somebody knew the guy that, uh, or had worked with the guy that was the main designer behind the shop that I went to. Um, they came highly recommended. Um, I went and talked to them. Um, I actually went and had lunch with them, talked through some of the stuff with them, um, you know, got, got to kind of form a little bit of a rapport with those guys. And at the same time, they showed me some of the other designs that they were working on for other clients and things like that and and really gave me a good idea of what they were capable of. And so at that point, once they gave me the quote, I was very comfortable with the price for what I was getting and comfortable with the fact that they would give me what I wanted and, you know, that we could iterate over it for, you know, as frequently as we needed to within reason to get it to um, something that I could use. And so, and, and that was what was important to me was that it would be delivered and that I could say, hey, I need this tweaked in order to make it work. And since they were both flexible and easy to work with, it just worked out well that way. But yeah, I, I got a referral off of the, the user group list. That's how I found them. Yeah, and actually, when I first started my business, I just took a template off the shelf and did a little bit of customization to it, you know, minor CSS stuff. And I used that for about six months, maybe a year. And then I actually went back and actually had a you know, complete custom design done. And it's kind of the thing, like, you can get started with something very basic and minimal and then later on get a full design done or get something custom for you. And mine, since I've had my design done, I've ported it to, I think, three or four different platforms. Like, my site's been static HTML at one time. It was a Rails app for another time. And now it's a WordPress system. And I've com- I kept my design the entire time. And I think I've also ported it to about three or four other sites or products that I have just to kind of have a, a, you know, close to matching brand across them all. And so, you know, I paid a couple thousand whatever for the design when I, you know, six months after I started, 
but I've been able to use it for you know a couple of years now, and it's across multiple sites, so it's actually paid for itself quite reasonably. Yeah, that that's another thing that's really nice is that when you hire a designer like that, it you know you usually in the contract wind up owning all of the intellectual property, so all of the images, all of the design concepts and things, and so you can move it around and do whatever you need to with it without having to you know jump through any hoops with them. And you want to read the contract to make sure that that's the case, because if they create it uh, by law, they own the copyright unless they assign it to you in the contract. It's it's kind of like code. If you write the code and your contract doesn't stipulate that your client has a license to use it, then they don't have a license to use it because you own the code. Uh, and another thing is is that having a designer on deck is also a really handy thing because then if people come to you and say, "Hey, I have this idea and I need, you know, I need artwork done for it or whatever," it's nice to have somebody that you can say, "Hey, well, this person did my site, you know, have a look," and then you know you can go talk to them. Or you can even subcontract them and, you know, kind of make pretend that they're part of your company and then just say, well, my my design guy can take care of the design. Here are some of the things that he's done. Yeah, and I've actually, I've had a couple clients come to me looking for like a custom app. And then, you know, after talking with them, I figured figured out like a custom app is not going to be the best fit and they'd be better served by using WordPress and, you know, maybe getting a custom plugin to do, you know, the, the different things that they want to do. And I actually referred them over to my designer saying, look, she she built my design. She knows some of the dev side of WordPress. Talk to her and you could probably get what you want, you know, both the look and feel and also the functionality for a lot cheaper and a lot easier than doing a complete custom app. And so I've referred stuff to her and she's referred a couple of projects to me where uh, like she would know someone or have someone contact her who needs a lot more on the dev side mm-hmm. than she's able to do. And so... I've talked to a couple of them and I don't know if any of them turn into clients, but you know, it's basically a sharing of leads because we're both freelancers. Yep. Yeah. It makes sense. Anything else you want to add on designers? No, I mean, that's pretty much it. If you're going to hire one, I mean, you want to look around, look at what they can do and you know, get to know them. I mean, it's always better to hire someone, you know, and trust than you know, put like an RFP out or something like that. Yeah. The other thing that uh, just came to mind was that the person who did the uh, logo design for Ruby Rogues. If you look at it, it's it's kind of a cool design, you know, with the stylized R's back to back with the Ruby negative space in the middle and stuff. And the guy did a really good job. He's a good designer, but he totally flaked out and we haven't been able to contact him since then to do some other stuff for us with it. So, um, you know, we don't have the original um, Photoshop files or anything like that. And so that's been kind of a pain that we've run into. So, if you find them and they come highly recommended, you know, that's something just, you know, to be aware of, like any other freelancer, I guess, is that, you know, you you may not be able to count on them for the long term. Yeah, and also, you know, depending on what it is, get the source. I mean, it's kind of yeah. like, you know, if we're building Rails apps and, you know, let's say you use Rubinius, which actually has a compi- byte-compiled version. You know, if you just give your client the Rubinius byte-compiled version, they don't have the source code, they can't go and modify it. You know, it's kind of the same if you're doing a lot of artwork. If you don't have the raw Photoshop file, you're stuck with editing a PNG or a JPEG, and that's really not the best way to do it. So that's that's something to also watch for. I remember that. My logo, I can't remember. It came in like a dozen different source formats. Like they exported into everything I wanted, and so I can go and edit it, you know, an SVG or a JPEG or whatever I feel like. Yeah. Yep, and that would be nice for us, but that's sadly not the case. 
All right, so let's let's talk about bookkeepers for a minute. And this is something that I'm struggling with right now. Um, I had a virtual assistant firm that I was working through for my VA. And one of the services that they offered was bookkeeping. And so they had a, a VA that was, you know, a, a trained or capable bookkeeper or something. Um, she did pretty well. My, my um, accountant was, you know, pretty happy with the way that my books came out last year as far as being able to figure out what I could deduct and what I couldn't and how to handle all that stuff. But in October, I fired them. And I'm not going to go into too many details until we talk about VAs, but, you know, suffice Basically, to- he called them into the boardroom and put a Trump hat on. Yeah. So anyway, um, so I don't, have a, I don't have a bookkeeper. I haven't had a bookkeeper for about two months. And since we're approaching the end of the year, it would be really nice to get all my books done so I could just take everything to my my CPA and say, hi, CPA, I would like to have my taxes done now <laughs> so that I, I know what I have to pay on April 15th. And uh, I don't. So I'm kind of in this weird place where I don't really know how to choose a bookkeeper. I've thought about just going with the bookkeeping folks that he has at his uh, CPA firm. But, uh, you know, they're a little more pricey than some of the folks I've been looking at online. And so I'm trying to find the balance there and decide how to how to hire somebody. So I know you do your own books. If you had to hire somebody to do your books, how would you go about doing that? I have an accountant and basically I use her. She's mostly like a tax accountant for me where I give her like, here's my profit and loss statement. Here's what my wife made from, what is it? W2. Yeah. W2s yep. and whatever 1099s we get personal. And she basically crunches all the numbers and says, here's what you're going to owe in taxes. Here's different scenarios. And so basically I have to do all the, all my own books and get her the profit and loss if I was looking for a bookkeeper, I would have to, I would need to look for someone that knows the software I use. I use uh, GNU Cash, which is basically an accounting software for Linux. Uh, it's free and open source, and it's really the only one I like using. I tried every other one, and they all pretty much suck. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of the first requirement because not a lot of people know that. If I kind of flex on that and say, you know, I'm using QuickBooks or whatever. I would probably ask my accountant for recommendations because realistically she's the one who's using that data. And so if I hire someone that kind of does my books in a way that's not, doesn't conform to what my accountant is thinking they're going to be done in, um, that could be a problem. Like if say someone categorizes books that I buy as assets instead of as reference material, that's going to change my tax situation. Right. So most accountants will either have bookkeeping in house like yours does or mine's just a solo person, like she'll probably be able to recommend a dozen or half a dozen people to me of local bookkeepers who can handle, you know, full service or basically like, you know, just entering the stuff into QuickBooks. And so I would start there. If you don't have an accountant, it's harder. I would probably say like, you know, I think we did a show on accountants. So, you know, go look for an account first because the account's the one that's going to give you the most value for your business. The bookkeeper's the one who's basically going to save you time. And so find right. an accountant and find what who or what they would recommend to do for bookkeeping. Yeah, and I, I'm thinking that I'm probably just going to wind up paying somebody at his firm to do my books. Um, that being said, it, it'll be really nice because, yeah, then at the end of the year, it's like, okay, well, your guy or girl or whoever, you know, did did the books. And, yeah, looks like it all came out. And, you know, we know how much we're going to pay. So... Yeah, and that's something like it's kind of 
doesn't boggle my mind, but I get kind of concerned when I hear people that are like, you know, six months behind on their books. My books, I, I do my bookkeeping every weekend, both personal and business. And so at any given week, I can talk to my accountant and actually have up to the date numbers on my entire business. And especially right now, I mean, if we're recording this on the 20th of December, like I have contacted her last month and we basically are doing some things that are going to like basically move deductions around so that I'm going to be able to take a couple thousand dollars more in deductions this year to offset a large amount of income that I made this year. And so if I, if I had books that were six months old, I wouldn't be able to have this discussion with her. And so I would end up paying more in taxes than I would have otherwise. And so that's kind of like, you want to get your books done. I mean, whether you do it or you hire someone to do it and really keep them up to date. Cause that's, I mean, that's basically data on your business. And if you have good, solid, relevant data, you can actually make better decisions. Yeah, that's another thing that I really want is I want somebody who can do my books and at the same time give me a report at the end of the month or if they're doing it in QuickBooks and I can just, you know, import or whatever. I think I'm going to move off of QuickBooks online and just use regular QuickBooks, but, you know, I can bring it in and I can look at it and run my own report and say, okay, you spent so much on books, you spent so, or training materials or reference materials or whatever you want to call them. You spent so much here, so much on this, so much on this and so much on this. And then I can look at it and say, okay, well, since I spent, you know, this money on all this stuff, you know, how does that figure in with maybe the budget that I have for my business? And and I can get an accurate representation of that. Honestly, I would rather just have the bookkeeper just fire off a report via email at the end of the month. But, you know, in, in any case, you know, I, I like the idea of having the, the numbers on your business. It's kind of like anything else. Um, when you read any of the startup material, they tell you that, um, you have to track the things that are important. And if you don't track them, then you can't change them. So, yeah. And I mean, like, if you think about it, if, if your revenue starts dipping, like, um, say clients aren't paying you and all that, you, if it's taking a long time to do your books, you might have an inkling of that, but you're not going to actually know for a fact that, look, I have whatever $50,000 in accounts receivable that are over 90 days. You know, if you knew that, you know, as it was approaching there, you can kind of adjust, maybe lean harder on those clients or, Maybe start marketing if you think you're not going to get that money and pick up clients before it gets to be actually a cash flow problem. Yeah. And I mean, that's like, like I said, kind of in the pre-show, like I, I graduated college with a business finance degree and I loved my accounting classes. This is kind of how my brain works. And so, you know, having different metrics and different numbers you can use, at least for me, helps me really think about what my business is doing. And it's almost always at least a month ahead or sometimes even like six months ahead, depending on what I'm thinking about. Yep. So is there anything else that we should know about bookkeepers? Um, it's kind of the same with the designers. If you can find one and get them trained and they're good, stick with them. I mean, even if it means paying more or if they up their rates and stuff, because realistically, if you look at the rate for a developer versus the rate of a bookkeeper, it's well worth the money hiring it out and paying more to stick with someone who knows your system that you don't have to retrain. Yeah. Um, I think I'm in kind of a unique case in that I enjoy doing my books and it makes me feel like I have control over my business. That's why I haven't outsourced it. But you know, if, if you don't like books or if you kind of like eh, accountings or whatever, then find someone to do it for you. Yeah. Well, we need people out there who like doing the bookkeeping because otherwise I would go insane. So uh, let's see, wh who, what else should we talk about? Virtual assistants? Sure. So what, what's your experience with a virtual assistant? So I've hired two. Yeah, I've hired two in the past. 
first one I hired, she was great. It just came to the thing of I didn't have enough work. I personally, I don't have a problem with it, but it's really hard for me to let go and to delegate things. And I think a lot of other freelancers are the same way. And so I, it takes a lot of effort for me to actually give something to someone else to do. And with her, it basically came down to she finished all the work that I needed her to do. I didn't have enough time to figure out what other stuff to delegate. So we ended up just you know canceling the contract and going our separate ways. The current bookkeeper, or not bookkeeper, current um, VA I'm using, I've kind of given her more to do at the very beginning and kind of given her more freedom of like, I need X, go do X. I don't really care how you do it. Just let me know when it's done and I can check it and we can adjust. So it's, I'm trying to work around my, my, not micromanage, but a control of, you know, do it exactly this way. But for the most part, like, even with the expensive VAs that I was looking at, it's a well worth your time to do that and to hire someone just because, you know, same with the bookkeeper, our dev rates are, you know, X dollars, whereas VA rates are lower than X. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a good use of your time, even if they take a bit longer than it would take you to do. Yep. So, um... I'm going to tell a long, sad VA story. Um, wah, wah, wah. Yeah. <laughs> Where is that sound effect when you need it? Anyway, um, so back in, I think it was like May of 2010, I I was swamped. I was totally swamped. And so I decided I was going to hire a VA. And uh, I kept hearing about this firm. And I'm, I usually, when I talk poorly about a business, I usually don't want to give the name. However, I have recommended them in the past, and I'm worried that somebody else will go hire them and have a similar experience. Um, the company is called Contemporary VA, and so I hired them, and they assigned this girl to me um, to help me get my stuff done. And so I was passing, you know, different tasks off to her. Um, I trained her to edit my podcasts um, and my videos and how to get them, you know, uploaded to YouTube and how to get them posted on my website and things like that. And, um, things would kind of ebb and flow as far as how consistent she was with the timing of getting them out. And so, you know, sometimes they'd come out on time. Sometimes they'd come out later than I wanted them to. And so anyway, eventually, um, it just wasn't working out. And so, um, at Contemporary VA, they assign you a a customer advocate. And so I went to my customer advocate and I said, look, I have tried every which way to make this work and it's not going to. So I need somebody new. And so they assigned me this other girl. And uh, so I started handing all my stuff off to her. Well, the first time she uploaded a video to YouTube, Comcast came and smacked her on the head and said, you can't upload that much at once and shut off her internet access. And so I had her for about two weeks, but she was amazingly consistent, very, very good. Um, at, at everything and was excited to, you know, be helping me with the stuff that I was doing. So I went back, she went, she went to the customer advocate and said, Hey, look, you know, um, this type of work is something that I just can't do because I can't get an internet connection that they will allow me to do it on. And so then they assigned me to this guy and he was my VA for about a year. He was my VA from, I want to say like June of 2011, all the way up through October when I quit. And, um, at first he was pretty consistent, you know, he would get, he would get things in pretty regularly. You know, I didn't have to remind him too many times to get things done, but by the end of the, by the time things rolled around to like June of this year, it it wasn't working. 
and uh, I, I would ask him to do things and they wouldn't get done. Um, I would ask him to, you know, I was, you know, telling him that I needed the podcast to go out on a regular basis and those weren't happening. And so what would happen is people would get like three at once or four at once, which meant that they didn't get any for a month and then they'd get four, um, stuff like that. And, you know, finally I, I and I kept pushing back and I'm like, dude, you know, you, you gotta fix this. Cause I, I can't, I can't have this going on like this. And, um, <clears throat> went to the customer advocate. They said that they would talk to him. Um, and finally in October, I, I just emailed the customer advocate and said, Hey, I'm done. You know, the two out of the three were completely unreliable. And unfortunately the one that was reliable just couldn't do the work. And so, um, in the meantime, while I was getting ready to quit, the guys on Ruby rogues kept pushing at me to try out the VA that Avdi Grimm uses. Um, she's, she's a woman out in, um, Pennsylvania and she's terrific. Um, and he kept telling me how awesome she was and she was doing all of the work to get his podcasts out and, you know, keep his stuff up to date. And so, um, and so I said, Hey, um, can I just give you some work to do? And on a trial basis, we'll see if we can make this work. And she was like, sure. So I started handing off the podcasts and they were going out like immediately. And so, um, it, it just worked out that she, she's been amazingly consistent. I mean, every once in a while, there's some dumb little thing that she forgets or, or that this or that, but it, it's usually like some dumb little step in the process. And it's something that's easy for me to go in and just fix. And that happens maybe once every two months. I mean, I, I've done this like twice since I've hired her. Um, you know, for, for example, she left the, um, the media file off of one of the Ruby Rogues episodes that was supposed to go out recently. And, um, you know, so I just went and put it in and it updated the RSS feed and was a big deal, but she has been amazingly consistent and really, really done well. And, um, with the other company, um, to add insult to injury, when I requested to quit, they, they pulled out the contract that I had with them and waved it in my face and said, you have to give us 30 days notice. And so I said, fine, you know, rather than 30 days notice, cause this was the middle of October. And their billing cycle is to bill at the beginning of the month. So I said, rather than go for, you know, 30 days notice, why don't we go till the end of November? And at the beginning of November, just charge me for the 20 hour per month package instead of the 40 hour per month package that I've been paying for. And they said, okay. And so I, uh, I waited until the beginning of November and then they charged me full price for the 40 hour package. And so I emailed them and I said, Hey, you know, you owe me half of the money back. And I didn't hear from them for about two weeks. So by the middle of November, um, I disputed the charge with American Express. And then they came back and said, hey, you disputed the charge. What we really needed from you was a new statement of work. <laughs> and so I signed the new statement of work because they said that they would, you know, give me a refund if I did. And then they turned around and said, well, we can't give you a refund while this is in dispute with American Express. And I wasn't about to drop the dispute with American Express because I didn't trust them to give me my money back. So anyway, um, so they, you know, they pushed and whatever. And I kept saying, look, if you give me this, if you give me the money back, I will, you know, close the dispute. In fact, if you refund the money to American Express, I'm pretty sure they'll close the dispute. So anyway, time went on. Um, eventually American Express, cause they reported that 
what I said was, um, I quit this service. They overcharged me, you know, blah, blah, blah. I told them the whole story. And all American Express saw was the guy says he quit and the company says he didn't quit um, the service. And so they, they upheld the charge. And um, this was like three weeks ago. And I've been emailing them since then to try and get a refund because they said that once the dispute was over, I'd get a refund. And they are not returning my emails. So um, between the customer service nightmare and the fact that I couldn't get the services done that I needed to, um, I, I, I'm going to unrecommend and heartily warn you away from Contemporary VA. And instead, what I would do is I would go talk to somebody who is deliriously happy with their VA and see if you can hire them. Um, I don't know that my VA is open for uh, is taking new clients. But at the same time, um, you know, if, if Eric is super happy with his VA and, and he or she has extra time, uh, to do more client work, then, you know, that, that's something that you may want to consider or just, just ask around. Cause there are a lot of people out in the community now that have VAs, um, because we've talked about them and other people have talked about them. And, uh, I bet you can find somebody that has a VA that has time that can take care of you. So anyway, that's my sad story. Yeah, that sounds like a, a bunch of fun there. Yeah, let me tell you. But anyway, one thing that I wish I had done was at the beginning when I first hired that first VA, I really, really wish that I had gone and uh, switched her off sooner. And then when this guy started to flake out, I, I wish that I had, again, you know, given him a reasonable amount of time, which is what I did. I gave him more than a reasonable amount of time, but just said, look, you know, you have a few weeks to fix this and then I am out of here. And just made it very clear that, that those were the stakes and not waited a, uh, you know, six months to a year, um, through all the issues that we had to, to finally quit. Yeah. And I've looked at hiring VAs. Like I think a couple of years back, I did a big, a big search. I actually did an RFP and got, I think two dozen, maybe three dozen different people applying. And some of it, it's like a one person VA and some of it, it's like a group of them. And basically from that and from everything I read and researched on it, the benefit of having a group like you did is if someone doesn't work out, whether it's, you know, personality conflict, technological conflict, or they don't have the skills, when it's a group like that, you want to go back to the project manager or the client advocate or whatever and find someone else for you. Because that's the whole point of having a group of them is that you can shift between the different people to find the one you like. Um, I've heard stories of people who had to change the person they worked with three or four times, and then they found one person, and everything became like perfect at that point. Yeah. And so, because VAs are very much like a personal service, like you have to find someone that's compatible with both the work you need and also with you and how you do your business. Yeah. One other thing I want to add to that is the groups are nice too because if my VA was sick or gone on vacation or something, they would assign me somebody else temporarily, so the work would still get done. And with Contemporary VA, the other thing I liked was that they they build a manual for your stuff. And so um, they would just hand the manual off. So it might take them a little bit longer because they're not as familiar, but they can follow step-by-step step through the manual to get the work done. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot like with software. I mean, will you get redundancy with that? I mean, if you build a single server and have your app on a single server, if you know the app crashes or the server crashes, you lose everything. Like it's completely down. But if it's like a cluster of them, one server can go down or the app can go down on one server and you can kind of balance around to the other ones. It's not as fast and you might have some problems, but it's not a total failure. And it's kind of like that with the group stuff. 
the only difference is, is if you do like a single one, like I, my VA is just a single person. Um, I've kind of gone through and built up the documentation and built up the process manuals and all that to kind of give me a little bit of that redundancy stuff. So if, you know, like if she's really busy or if I want to bring on a second person, I can kind of use those manuals that we've been building over time and bring someone on. But it would be a lot harder than if I had like a group of, you know, six or seven VAs that I can just kind of send work to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the the big thing for me though was that the firm was unreliable and my my current VA who is also just a single contractor has been extremely extremely reliable and that's the first and foremost thing is that you know the work is getting done and it's getting done in the way I want. So yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean it's I think it's like with a group you kind of have more you know the really really great parts and the really really crappy parts are kind of smoothed over. But with a single person, like you could find someone that's amazingly great. Like I, I know your VA and, you know, for podcast stuff, like she's amazing. And that's the hard thing is it's just hard to find them. I mean, because yeah. not only is it, you know, harder to find them like marketing wise, like trying to contact them, but they can get booked up quick because it's, you know, they might have maybe 40 hours in a week. And that's depending on who their clients are. That could be one, two, maybe even just three clients. Yep. One other thing that I want to point out, because I have a lot of people ask me what they should be paying for a VA. Um, I have talked to VAs um, that charge anywhere from 15 bucks an hour to 40 bucks an hour. So just just be aware that's that's a reasonable range. If you're getting somebody that's highly specialized, you might wind up paying more than that. But um, anyway, that gives you an idea of kind of the price range that you're looking at um, to hire somebody. Yeah, and you can get cheaper and sometimes a lot cheaper if you go you know outside the u.s or outside north america or europe the problem is is you're paying less per hour but you might be paying more hours like the same task it might take an extra two or three hours to communicate what you want to them and it might take them longer to do it and you know once again this is general stuff there's always exceptions i've heard of people that can find people in like the philippines that are you know, great grasp of English, perfect project management stuff, and are able to work just as good as some English speakers. Um, but in general, if you get out of the kind of first world countries, you can get stuff a lot cheaper. But you're gonna, you might be paying for that just by having a higher volume. And yeah. so, it, especially if you're doing, if you're just a freelance developer, it's almost a good thing to kind of just hire someone semi-local, even if you pay a bit more, just because once again, you know, how much are you charging per hour versus how much is the VA charging per hour? You know, there's quite a bit of a difference there. Yeah, I want to kind of jump in on that a little bit because I actually have a transcriptionist in the Philippines and I'm paying her two or three bucks an hour. I don't remember, but she does all the transcriptions for all of my shows. And so her English is pretty good. Um, it takes her, you know, for every hour of audio that we put out, it takes her three to five hours to to do the transcription on her end. But that's way cheaper than any of the services I found here in the States. And um and then I just have Mandy, my VA, um, go over it and make sure that the quality and formatting is right before it goes into the show notes. And, uh, you know, so that's worked out really well. Um, and there's a little bit more flexibility there because it's not something that's absolutely critical. It's just something that's nice to have. Yeah, I mean, and that's the other thing I was going to say. It's a quality bar. You know, if someone's editing a podcast that represents like your business, you want the quality to be as high as you can because... That's you know a pretty large kind of thing. You're doing a big, large event versus I've had my VA just research um, like a hundred different blogs in a certain niche, and that's something that you know the quality is not 
you don't have to be that high. If, if she misses one or gets one that's like slightly incorrect, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. And so depending on what kind of tasks you have and what you want people to do, you kind of pay different amounts for the quality. Um, I've heard of people who have like a US-based VA for like tier one support stuff and then might have someone in the Philippines to do kind of like back-end processing and stuff like that. So, I mean, you can hire more than one person and you know, that's something you can look at too depending on what you're doing. Yep, absolutely. Um, but yeah, the the thing I really want to stress is that if they are not getting the work done, it is really, really hard and really stressful. And so if if you're not happy with the work they're doing, then let them go. And, uh, you know, just like if somebody's not happy with the work that I'm doing, I expect them to let me go. So, so other service providers, did we, did we mention any others? Do we want to kind of get into the big ones like the, the accountant and the, the attorney? Um, well, we had the whole show on accountants. Um, I think that kind of covers it pretty good, especially with a little bit of bookkeeper stuff we talked about. Um, attorneys, I'd like to have the attorney you talked about come on. Um, cause that's a very, it's a very high-end service, and hopefully, if you're lucky, you don't need an attorney that much in your business. You know, mm-hmm. maybe just to draw up your contracts and ask questions to, but you're not going to get sued or anything like that. Um, yeah, that's see. pretty much all I use my attorney for. And I guess we can kind of thumbnail that real quick. I mean, you know, my CPA I got through a recommendation from David Brady. The attorney, I, I there's a local, um, they call it Launch Up, which is kind of a meetup for you know, barn raising businesses kind of thing. And so they have business people come in and talk and they have a workshop beforehand. Um, and so they had like a le- they have a legal workshop and a technology workshop and stuff. And so I went in and talked to some of the attorneys about some of the things that I had questions about. And that's how I met this guy and I got his business card. And then I, you know, I, I hired him to drop my contract and things like that. But, um, yeah, I, I think I think the best approach to that would be to bring him on and, and talk about that. So um, I'll probably see if we can get him on a couple of times um, next year and, and talk over some of the legal stuff with having a business. Yeah, and I think other than that, I mean, that's that's the kind of the people I've used. Um, if you actually go out and start hiring other developers like subcontractors or, you know, if you want to grow and you hire like someone in charge of business development or stuff like that, like, those one I don't have very much experience with or any knowledge of, and two, it's that's kind of a little separate than you know bringing in people to help your services. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, more supplementary versus like complementary. Yeah, I agree. I mean, most of the concepts that we've talked about with hiring a bookkeeper or whatever they they apply to hiring subcontractors or um, business dev people or whatever. You know, I've I've also got a sales guy that contacted me, and he's got a bunch of contacts that he's working and then from there he's you know he's subcontracting me kind of we've got a kind of a nebulous arrangement at this point but we're gonna we're solidifying some of the details uh, on a contract by contract basis but you know bringing somebody like that in again you know you just vet them like anybody else and do the best you can to make sure that they can do the job with subcontractors you have the expertise to do that with the others sometimes you don't is there anything else that you want to add any other areas that we need to go over no, I mean, I think that's it. I mean, I think it applies whenever you hire anyone. I mean, try to get a sample of what they do. And if you can start working with them, like kind of a short-term basis, like a trial basis. And then uh, I guess, you know, be, you want to be able to fire them as quickly as you can hire them. So, if, you know, they're not doing the services you want, or like you're saying, if they're inconsistent, 
you know, you want to have that flexibility to fire them and pick up someone else. Yep, exactly. All right. Well, um, let's get into the picks then. Uh, do you want to go first? Sure. So two blog posts this time. Um, one is by Ernie Miller. It's called Why I Love Being a Programmer in Louisville or Why I Won't Relocate to Work for Your Startup. It's, uh, it's a pretty good blog post that kind of talks about like why he likes where he is and why he's happy there and doesn't want to move to like San Francisco or New York or stuff like that. Um, pretty interesting. Um, after I read it, it reminded me of another blog post um, by Derek Sivers, which came out, it looks like beginning of this month, called You Don't Have to Be Local. And this was kind of interesting because Derek talked about you can either focus your time on working locally or globally, but you really can't do both. And kind of the idea is, like, and for example, for me, I do, I work globally. I help people across the globe. Like, I have clients in different countries and all that. And a lot of the stuff I do, I try to do on the internet. So it's, you know, in theory, anyone across the world can get it or use it or get value from it. But because I focus on global stuff, I don't do much locally. Like in my local community, you know, I haven't gone to a local Ruby meetup in probably a year or two. And that's just because I've, I've been focusing more on putting stuff online versus going in person. Um, so Derek's post kind of talks about that and outlines the differences and Basically, it's kind of a, you know, don't beat yourself up if you're doing one and not the other, because it's really hard to do both at the same time. And I think he might even say it's impossible to do or to do it effectively. Mm -hmm. But it's just kind of interesting because it, ma it mashed up with the other blog post of like, you know, if even if you live kind of in backwoods nowhere, you can still do work that affects stuff globally. But if you want to affect stuff locally, like, you know, the local Ruby scene, you might have to move to San Francisco or someplace where there is a large local Ruby scene. Or start one up wherever you live. So it, it was just interesting. I was kind of, kind of some good reading I had this past week. Sounds good. I, I might have to check that out. All right. Well, um, I have two picks. Um, the first one is what is it called? Closurecompiler.appspot.com. It's Closure Dash Compiler, and it's actually a web interface to the Closure Compiler by Google. And the, the cool thing is, is um, I ran into this uh, issue today where I had some code and Chrome was complaining about it. It was saying that there was a, an unexpected token or something like that, which is really helpful. And it was telling me that it was on one file that uh, I couldn't see any syntax errors in because that's usually what unexpected token means. And uh, so I started taking the likely culprits for the JavaScript files and copying their their code and pasting it into this uh, closure compiler and then um, running the compiler. And I put the first one in and it passed, it compiled. I put the second one in, it passed, it compiled. I put the third one in and it gave me the error and told me which line I was missing the comma on. And so, um, just to put that out there, that it was it was a really handy tool for actually finding the errors, because Chrome wasn't telling me the right things to help me track it down. So uh, I highly recommend that. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Another one that uh, came up during the episode of um, JavaScript Jabber that I did, that I I really really like. Um, it's called Headline Hacks. And we were talking about writing conference talks and giving conference talks and, you know, going to conferences and making the most of the experience there. And uh, Headline Hacks is about writing a good title for your blog post so that you can, you know, draw people in 
by your headlines. And uh, it's also a really good way to write titles for your talks. So um, that, that helps get, people, keep, get people's attention when they're looking at the program. And it helps give the, give the conference organizer something interesting to look at. So um, that's at headlinehacks.com. And you can go check that out as well. Those are all the picks I have. One other thing I want to remind you of is that I will be teaching the Rails Ramp Up um, course in March. And you can get all the details about that at railsrampup.com if you want to learn Ruby on Rails. Um, it's an eight-week um, uh, webinar series with Q&A and forums and all that stuff to make sure that you're getting it and make sure that you can get the help that you need to learn Rails. So with that, we'll wrap up the show. Is there anything else that you want to talk about or announce before we go? No, I'm good. I mean, you know, it's basically the 20th, so probably see everyone in the new year. Yep. If you're uh, celebrating a holiday this time of year, then happy holidays, and we will catch you in a week or two. Oh, and if the world ends, uh, been nice talking to everyone. Yep. Yeah, we'll see you all in heaven or hell tomorrow.